Turn it up. Bop, bop, hello, bop, hello. Check, 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 check. Hello, hello, hello. Science AM. Science AM. Science AM. Science AM. Science AM. Science AM. Science A. Science is fuck. Welcome to Science AF. I'm your host, Dave Chacho, and I'm Science is Fuck. My guest today, I'm joined by writer, comedian, Ethan Stanislavski. Yes. Hello. Thank you for Hi. having me, Dave. Welcome. Yes. Um, you see, I know you write for a really fun uh, sketch team. Uh, right and yes. perform and yeah, yeah. Other night church. We are. I'm having a blast with these guys. Night uh, church. It's been almost three years. We started as a house team. Now we're in our slot, uh, and we're sort of yeah. You graduated from the yeah. sketch program. Yeah, and it's, we also added a few members. So it's like a weird situation where, we're, like, most of the house teams are just assigned. But since we were able to switch and sort of not be a house team, we were able to add people. So it's like that mix of assign things and you're forced to come up with an identity but then choose your family which you don't get to do a lot of times with teams like that are, are you one of the people that were there from the beginning i was there's four people on the team who were there from the start uh, a few came uh midway through the first year a few came our second year and then the right. remaining five are people we wanted desperately and then successfully were able to add so that was great it has changed a lot and and um at first it was sort of a a young team that was sort of like maybe a, a lot of different types of people in it, but now it feels like a very yeah. uh, uh, coherent. Yeah, we were able. I mean, once we established project. that we're doing like a horror nerd culty kind of thing, um, and it's also like when we started, we were the only Sunday new Sunday team of the first cycle we were there, so we had a bit of a chip on our shoulder about it. So we're like, let's do something weird and no one what no one else is doing, and. Uh, it worked in terms of people were like, "Oh, that's a that's a new thing," and then it's just sort of, yeah. How did that come escalate? about? Like, it, it's a really good choice for a sketch comedy team. Do, they are, are usually not as thematic as you guys are. Right? But you guys decided you were going to be we the just, horror side. Yeah, we consciously were like, "Let's team. let's add a different element." And there are a lot of horror fans on the team. I wasn't. I like. I had seen like the classic horror movies. So I was never like an aggressive horror fan, but I did like a lot of nerdy shit. And it started started more as a horror theme, but then we sort of were like, let's just do like punk shit and like cult movie shit and sci-fi. So it's not pure yeah. horror now, but it's uh, Vanessa was under Vanessa Gritton's was on her team describes it as like your favorite video store in sketch comedy form. That's kind of what we're going for. Like, let's right. So you can do any kind of tropes from basically like B movies. Yeah, and, uh, but I also tend to write things that are really dumb and weird, which is it's weird because I do stand up and I I've talked about this, but like I like to think my stand up is like intelligent, and well thought out, and analytical. But my sketch tends to be that I write tends to be the dumbest shit that I. <laughs> It goes on in my brain. I'm like, this is a really stupid idea. Why don't we write a sketch around this very dumb thing? Uh, and so, do you just write the premise first, and then like maybe mold it into the I mean, horror like, sci-fi mold, or it depends. Like, I I mean, like we have people who will write more straight sketches. We have people who will be like, I'm gonna write this f fucking weird, crazy thing. And we have people. Everyone. What I love about the team currently is that everyone on the team has. Oh, we good there? Yeah. Cool. Just making some adjustments. Yeah. Everyone on the team has their own voice. Like, I will know, oh, that's uh, Eric Wargo sketch. That's a Sam Gerwitz sketch. That's like a Eve Esquire sketch. So I'll, I'll know, like, 
based on who it is, also the fact that we've been performing so long, we know what our strengths and like how we can challenge ourselves as performers. So I'm like, that is a great role. Like I wrote a sketch for our February show this past February called Popeye for the straight guy. And all that was <laughs> was a bunch of Popeyes helping out a guy be a Popeye. But the only so <laughs> That's it, a great premise. It was so it. dumb and but it was also crazy. But the only the inspiration for that was uh, Eric Wargo's on Night Church. Uh, has a very langy but very fun body. I just wanted him to play olive oil because I thought that would be oh, great. Oh, really? I just was like, let's play, make Eric Olive just uh, Eric Wargo just flail his arms and be chased by Dan Evans, who's Bruto, and, and that will be funny. And then uh, it went through a few uh, versions that people were like no to, but then the idea of Popeye for the straight guy came up, and um, it was a huge hit. And I, it was as soon as Eric entered the stage, just flailing his arms in the stupid dress. It, I was very proud of how that eventually came out. Wait, so, who was Popeye? There, uh, was five Popeyes? there were five Popeyes, and then Grant. Coe, I, I could kind of see Wargo as a Popeye, but yeah, now but that you mentioned an, it, an olive oil, just like he if does you see have him, an olive oil figure. Yeah, so that's the thing. And Dan Evans is a perfect Bruto, like the the, yeah. the bad guy in Popeye. Uh, so it was five Popeyes. Grant Cohen just played the straight guy, which is Grant is often like. Sort of the more straight version, you know, straight man, even both in his writing and performing, but he still is able to get weird when he wants, and he's sort of grown into weirdness, which is something I love seeing. Uh-huh. Uh I'm a, yeah, I'm a, it's a, we're in a really good place right now. It's it's been uh, there was some growing pains in the first couple of years, but now we're in a place where everything's pretty solid and we're doing good overall. Awesome. Yeah. So you can see Night Church once a month. Every fourth Sunday at the Pack Theater at 9.30 p.m. after Very Famous and Thunderdog were two house teams that I still, I very much like. That is the Pack Theater in Hollywood. Santa Monica Boulevard between Wilcox and Cole. 6470 to get uh, exact. It's fun. If you go to the Google Maps, uh, it's just a large photo of Gil Barron and Nick Ligger. And so they're just standing in front of it. Standing in front of it, uh, talking a lot. So that's the photo on the Google Maps. Yeah. I find pretty amazing. It's been there for three, four four years. It's not going anywhere. Once they got. That was like right around the time the pack sort of was was at the point where it could be on a Google map. So that was the first image. I think I might be responsible for that because I was looking for. Uh, the PAC's address four, four years ago, right when we started as a theater, yeah, and it wasn't on Google, so I submitted it. Oh, so okay. I take I take full credit. You're the one. That's, <laughs> there, it's like a, I'm not blaming you because there's not, nothing negative about that. It's just the thing that happens to be. <laughs> so yeah, don't let anyone know. Yeah, I told Google where we are. Yeah. Well, now we're now we're in the system. We're in yeah. the database. Their self-driving cars are gonna know. Where, How to crash into where, the theater? Where, of the to, back theater. where to run us down? No, that, that happened to IO once, line. right? Like a car crashed into IO, like. Oh yeah, IO like West Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, it was like 2010. A drunk was, car. Luckily, it was after 2 p.m. So, I mean, after 2 a.m. So no one was there. So nobody was there because this bar was right on a corner of Hollywood Boulevard, and a SUV crashed right through the window and into the bar would have killed you know 20, a lot of whoever 20, was 30 in its people path. yeah uh if it was during peak peak uh comedy time yeah. um yeah and then yeah that theater was closed for a while and then there was like something called crash bar that started where yeah. people were, were because of the crash that it was like a, a yeah. side show you could 
Yeah, it's weird. Like when I O closed, like I had done a few shows there, and I'd gone. They had an open mic there. I used to go to a lot, but I didn't realize just like how passionate people were over it. And then when it closed, all the passion came out in a blaze of glory. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what that is. But yeah, yeah. And they it, they were able to remodel and open again. Yeah, um, but then. It, and then it, close it again. Died of natural causes, <laughs> as opposed to being of, hit by a car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It died of old age eventually. Yeah. <laughs> and then, in in I don't know if you were following this, but um, after they closed down IO and it was just an empty, it was like a front, squatters for like there were like guns in there. Somebody had like left that. the door open, the, unlocked. Yeah. So yeah, like forty people were like squatting and living in this comedy theater. That, remains that <laughs> the remains of this comedy theater that nobody was like patrolling, and I guess there was a bust and there was a yeah, there was like drug bust, there were a lot of guns bust. and drugs, something like that <laughs> in there. Yes, the perfect uh, like, denouement to yeah. a, an improv theater in Hollywood. Yeah. So, Ethan, you're uh, let, let's let's uh, let's go back let's to the past. To go back to the the past, the history the past. of things. Your history, which includes hi- your history, includes history yes. of science. That's true. Uh, you told me you have a degree in the history and philosophy of science. It, yeah, it's uh, the department. Uh, I went to the University of Chicago, which is a very good school that I actually like. A lot of people are like, fuck college. I'm like, I, I like college. It's some, not a necessarily a popular opinion to I like, like college. college in comedy, but I what, I like the college I went to. Is University well, of Chicago. I went to your mortal enemy, University of Illinois. Oh, it's yeah. Not re- no, we not really we didn't care. Though I did see <laughs> a study that was, uh, even though University of Chicago was a private college and Champaign-Urbana was, yeah. pub- was a public state school, the income of Champaign-Urbana was actually higher of at the students, the students they actually really? came from yeah it was like a kind of messed up uh, thing weird. because because uh i don't know i went to indiana university for a bit for grad school and i definitely saw like more ugg boots and like fancy clothes and like bmws there than i did at university of chicago so hmm. i don't know a lot of people get in on on big scholarships and well stuff? i don't know i think it's just yeah i'm not sure what it is I mean, there's also a lot of like i guess there's more people from around the country probably at university of chicago than at illinois so people yeah. Well, I, I guess don't know when, how that factors into things, but yeah. When tuition's only two grand a semester rather than 20, you yeah. can buy a lot more Ugg boots. <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's probably, we that were, may be part of it. Uh, yeah, most people don't know this, but we were swimming in Ugg boots yeah. down in uh, the University of Illinois. Well, then they have like a, they just open up like a huge multi-million dollar facility that only the athletes can access. There's, there was some weird thing at Champaign. Oh, is that Urbana. right? There was some, it was like right after I graduated, I graduated in 2008, that they did that. It was pretty controversial because it was just <laughs> no. giving weird benefits to athletes uh, that normal students couldn't access. There was something like they that. They also didn't send that information to the non-athletic alumni. Yeah. Alumni. I, I, it's this. weird they would keep that under wraps, but yeah, sure. Um, the Alumni Association was like... Uh, yeah, if you were an engineer and couldn't run, <laughs> we're not telling you about yeah, this new facility. That's fair. Yeah, so I was uh, the major, the department, or the major I had was it was with a sh- abbreviation was HIPS. It was History, Philosophy, and Social Studies of Science. Um, that was the full name of the major, and uh, HIPS. We called it HIPS. Yeah, that was what it was. Uh, yeah, so that was what it was, but uh, we had a. Uh, it was a pretty strong department. Like, I mean, it was not that big. Like, of like, uh, there were like probably like 
15, 20 people in my class who graduated in that with that major, uh, maybe a little more, maybe like 25, 30. But like compared to like the econ department, which was like 20% of the school majored in that. So it was a much smaller department. Uh, hmm. I was a fan of it because it was basically what happened was uh, I in high school, I did really well in science classes. Like I did really well in chemistry, physics, bio, all that. I took AP bio my senior year and I'm like, I want to major in biology. And I got to college and I took like gen chem, like general chemistry and hated its guts. It was like a hundred person lecture class uh, that no one, uh, they didn't really give a shit about the students. They just sort of like, yeah, here's what it is. Um, huh. And um, eventually the summer between that, I worked at a neuroscience lab. Uh, my dad teaches at Columbia. So it was at, uh, in New York. So it was a neuroscience lab at Columbia that was through a friend of his. And uh, most of the people in that general, Gen uh, chemistry class were pre-meds and they were awful <laughs> like pre-meds in general i found like terrible people and then i worked in I, a, I uh, knew a lot of, yeah yeah i had some roommates that were pre-med yeah well uh and <laughs> um type a it, to the point like and uh like i my high school uh was pretty competitive like it was the kind of thing where you see like you get a, get a test back and we're like what grade did you get what grade did you get and i kind of hated that i like my high school but in general but i hated that sort of part of the culture mm -hmm. and in college the only place i saw that was in like those pre-med classes that was the only place i'd be like people like what do you get what do you get uh and i remember like spring of my freshman year i took a the first like history of science class that like went to my major was like sciences of the mind in the 20th century and mm. i was really a fan of that like i did um like I wrote like a 30 page paper my freshman year, which was like a very intense, like challenge myself. Like I spent like um, two weeks nonstop researching this and so specifically science of the mind. Yeah. So it's basically, it was basically, it was a lot of different aspects and sort of, you went back to like how things were leading into the 20th century and then like how like behaviorist science was basically uprooted, uh, by, I mean like behavior mm -hmm. science was the idea that like, you can do things to people's behavior and then they will change their, like on the surface outside of that. And then uh, Noam Chomsky, even though he was a linguist, he basically found that there's like an inherent, uh, you know, biological basis for how language works in the brain, but then it sort of progressed to mm -hmm. neuroscience in general and um, sort of uprooted the, what the assumptions were before then. It was also like the history of psychology and mental health and how uh, that was yeah. treated. Um, and, the, you know, like, the 20th century is, I guess, when we yeah this discovered neurons and basically yeah also when we actually could like do structure. like MRIs and CAT scans that changed realize a lot of... that weren't they weren't actually like little demons and little yeah I mean like even until like the 17th century there was like or 17th or 18th century there's like a, or maybe even 19th century there was like a thought that like the way animals breeded was you had like a dirty rag in the corner of a room and that was led to animals being like rats being born. And, and that, could, like that. Oh, really? that was like one of the theories that like, I think the black plague made everything that like just dirt leads to animals being born. And it's like, that's not <laughs> it, but okay. Um, but yeah, so I had this class, I was like right? very yeah, intense. I, guess, I, guess I, worked, I have heard that. Yeah. It seems like it, 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 it was like, yeah, like surgeon, somebody had to take the leap to like, yeah. having sex humans having sex and going hey, oh yeah maybe everything else does that too yeah and we didn't even like discover what bacteria was until like the end of the 19th century so like oh, surge yeah. surgeons would never wash their hands because why would they they don't they think bacteria think they, exist. they don't know right. cleanliness matters so and then yeah the, and there was like a cholera yeah epidemic because like um 
marketplaces where you would go buy food would just have standing water. Yeah, yeah. And people had no idea they that just, that was like a breeding ground yeah, for like disease and disgusting bacteria yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it was just it's very like. I mean, obviously, there was no way of knowing at the time, but in hindsight, you're like, that is the stupidest shit <laughs> you've ever heard. And uh, it's like the same time, like, heroin and coke and opium were considered, like, therapy drugs. And it's just like... And weed wasn't. <laughs> weed was not. No, weed was... I don't even know, like... Opium was legal and weed... No, we, I, actually, we... I think were... opium may have not been legal, but cocaine and heroin were until, like... Like, Coca-Cola was named that because initially yeah. it had cocaine in it, like, in the 1880s or there something. There was opium, but... like, laudanum, I think, is was... Uh... A term, or the yeah. name of, a, like, a opium that yeah. was over Yeah, I mean, there was also wars with Hong Kong and UK and China over opium. So yeah. that's also... Because it's fucking good. Yeah, I'm not... That's a <laughs> it's drug worth I've, going to war over. I'm not... That's... I actually haven't done opium, which is a thing that I haven't done. So. I have a, a friend of mine um, who will remain nameless, but he has the same first name as you. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't like him. I'm very jealous of other Ethans, but anyway, go on. I'm uh, not judging had got his hands on some poppies because his father had been traveling and came back with these poppies from the middle yeah, he east. went on the silk road and came back yeah with he's traveling on the silk road yeah. i don't know where he got a hold of them but then like his dad was like i guess these are the same poppies they make opium out of yeah i don't know anyway there they are and just yeah. walked away and went to work and Ooh, my, i wonder what so i of course could do my with friend this opium here like mm. looks up like googles how you make your own opium yeah and he did you like you cut the flower with like a little razor blade, and it bleeds out a little bit of uh, powder resin, resin of something, yeah. and then you like dry it, and and you so do some sort of uh, process. I don't know what you do. You might cook it or something. Yeah. Um, and then you smoke it. Yeah. And it's delicious. Yeah. And cool. I understand why yeah. people throw their li- their lives away to go to to live in opium dens. Yeah. So it's it's funny because I remember. Um, when I moved for here from New York where I grew up about six years ago and I was in a really bad place like at the end of New York. Like, I, was, I was really depressed and constantly like having panic attacks a lot and just angry and hating everything. And uh, remember there was a comic there who was also a native New Yorker and he had, was in punk bands as he and Journey done like every drug there was to do. And uh, somehow heroin came up, and he was like, man, heroin's the ultimate native New Yorker drug. Because all this noise and commotion, it's everywhere, and you just sit in a chair for 12 hours and don't give a shit. And I'm like, <laughs> actually, that sounds kind of great. I better leave, move to Los Angeles before I start doing heroin, because that sounds yeah. amazing. Uh, <laughs> that is a reason I've never done heroin, is because I feel like... I would like it. I yeah. might like it. I, that's, I probably I would, definitely would really like it. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I besides did, that, like I knew Harris Whittles who died. Yeah, no, I, oh god, and, I saw and, him uh, the night before he died. He oh, did a show god. on Meltdown, and he was doing jokes about heroin and his experience really? with it. It was right before he, yeah. the night before. Like I remember, like I've done a lot of stand up, and like you can do jokes about pretty much every drug, but you do jokes about heroin, audiences like will clamp up just inherently. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was do like you can make like a whatever like oh heroin blah like kind of joke, but he was doing like a real honest like take on being a heroin addict which i've never and he was getting huge laughs i've never seen anyone i remember thinking like oh man he's getting laughs on that and he's doing fucking great and then literally the next night it was like he went home from that show and died oh it was crazy oh, that's so crazy. it was very fucking sad yeah but yeah so this don't cl- do heroin yeah kids out there but uh, if you have if you get your hands on some good opium pops. Yeah, yeah sure i'm not no yeah go for it <laughs> uh yeah uh but yeah so i did i wrote a paper in this class like 30 pages very intense 
and uh-huh. I turned it in. I remember this was like spring of my senior year, my freshman year. And uh, so I turned it in, and then I was still in general chemistry, and there was like a problem session, and it was like this Chinese grad student TA who barely spoke English, and everyone was yelling at him, all the pre-meds in our like problem set session, yelling at him over like one question and like basically bullying him into giving them extra like five extra points on uh on like a on like a problem uh like a practice quiz or something like that mm-hmm. and that was like the whole we had like 10 of those in the semester and the whole thing was five percent of the grade so they're fighting for like five points on one tenth of five percent of a grade and mm-hmm. i'm like i hate this and i like this class i took more so i guess i'm doing history of science now so that was how i chose that major Oh wait, what was the class that somebody was yelling at? Uh, general chemistry. Oh, like, it was just doing. It was like pre meds, and it was just like the culture of like what to, what do you get, what do you get on this test. That was the only place I saw that was like the pre meds and the chemistry classes. It was about time somebody spoke out against doctors. Yeah, I'm glad that you've been brave enough to no, come I on mean, my like, podcast. I don't. I mean, who knows if they became <laughs> doctors? They just wanted to be. Um, no, I, I, I uh, my w- sister's in med school and she's fine. <laughs> I like her. I was so. roommates with three doctors yeah. or pre doctors, and uh, they were very intense. Oh, we're still friends. Yeah, uh, there's but. a guy in my dorm who was kind of legendary because he was a sort of a legendary alcoholic, and uh, he would like sit in the like recreation room in our dorm and just like not 21 yet, but just like a like a a cooler full of beers that he should drink. He would just drink for hours and watch war movies, which is broke several rules he just didn't care and i was like what's this guy gonna do um and then he was in med school and i'm like this guy's in going to gonna be a doctor <laughs> and i remember like sort of the last time i saw him he's like what are you gonna be a doctor and he's like gynecology and i'm like oh god what's <laughs> of course what's are. happening oh jeez, but i, I liked him say i did like him but it was i think he was doing a joke for that but he became I'd, like trump's shady doctor with the no, he he's he's fine. He would not go down. I I I mean I don't know. I haven't talked to him in years, but like who knows Maybe what he's, he's become. Trump's shady gynecologist. Oh yeah, great. He's the Mengele of our time. <laughs> great, my friend from college. Cool. Let the record show. No, he's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was my major. Um, and I had a the guy who ran the department. Uh, I very much uh, loved. His name was Robert Richards. Bob Richards. We went by, and he was. Of, he studied a lot of Darwin, so he was big in like history and philosophy of evolution, and he he had a really good like way of phrasing it. He saw Darwin like because like until like the 19th century, like philosophy and science were more or less considered the same field. Like it, mm-hmm. like science was a variation like natural philosophy. There wasn't really a sense that it's the specialized yeah. thing. So I, I think there's. Still very intricately linked. Yeah, they're they're but. still intricately linked, but there's just so much specialization now that it sometimes gets lost. Mm. But he sort of phrased Darwin as a philosopher more than even at, like even though he revolutionized science and like mm-hmm. everything we have in like so- biology now is based on Darwin. But he's like the way he deal he like natural selection, how that changed like how we view progress and how we view evolution as a society, like that. Is, I mean, that's not just a uh, biological concept. That's like a, it looks at how like society and social systems work. Mm-hmm. That's it's like it's weird because like Hegel, who was a very famous philosopher, had sort of a system, sort of like that, where things would there'd be like a movement, a counter movement, and then a resolution. But Darwin sort of 
brought the idea that it's not like there's not a cause. It's just whatever happens to be the most optimal for survival is what uh, ends up winning out. Yeah. So it's it's a weird it's a philosophy that it is a it's a transcend paradigm shift. Yeah. In, in the thinking about yeah how uh, the thrust of the w- yeah you know time in the world yeah. In, in history of science, though, paradigm shift is a loaded <laughs> term. Uh, there was a, Why is that? It's because one of the main philosophy of science texts uh, was by a physicist named Thomas Kuhn, who was writing for uh, just a publication in the, I think it was the 50s. And uh, before then, there'd sort of been the idea that science progresses in sort of a straight line, and the way things uh, ideas evolve is sort of like you build on what you've built on before and mm-hmm. you work to some resolution. But like Thomas Kuhn, he looked at like various moments in like the like like when Einstein sort of replaced a lot of what Newton was doing and, and sort of looked at through several examples of that and basically determined that there's something that no one knows what the explanation is and then someone comes up with a solution but it's not really doesn't sort of progress. There's no progress. It's just a problem emerges and a solution emerges, but there's they're not really in a straight linear straight line, and that sort of threw the philosophy of science for a loop because it changed every assumption you had about science. And then when you had like postmodernism, like Foucault and people like that breaking down the idea of like objective truth, um, that sort of went off the rails. People would go like to the idea that there's no such thing as scientific truth or progress and things like that, which is. Older, which led to weird things like there were philosophers of science in like when I was in college there was there was like I think it was the Dover trial which was like a teaching of you have to teach that was like the intelligent design the trial for that which was like the idea that you would have to teach that in addition to if you were going to teach evolution so it's like you know it's still scopes monkey trial but like 2006 version and uh, the there Dover were, trial that was in 2000 I think it was in 2005 2006. Ugh. Um, that like height of Bush two's Christian yeah, like, Bush two bullshit thing, um, and uh, but I, but like the weird thing about that was there were philosophers of science brought in as expert witnesses on both sides. There were people arguing that the idea of evolution and science is not based on an objective truth that were defending intelligent teaching intelligent design, which is so strange that like anyone who's got like a phd in in science would even think to do that but the mm-hmm. one who argued for you know teaching evolution and not intelligent design was the key witness that won that trial for the right side of history so there's a lot of that stuff that is still in my brain even though i haven't studied this in 12 years or so but, wow yeah yeah i mean it's still kind of a debate I guess uh, it's not so much. Uh, it, it was definitely in the Bush years that they were really. Yeah. Th- that was definitely in the like. Yeah. Well, it's weird because like society consciousness. It, this is not related to science at all, but like I feel like the sense of what the right wing was under W. Bush was like the Christian right, and now it's just white supremacists. But it's like the same group of people. They've just dropped that this is about religion in a yeah, lot of ways exactly. they're just like now let's just control people and it just dropped the charade that yeah it had anything to do with jesus yeah and it's just about hatred yeah which yeah. is what it kind of always was but it's just like yeah oh oh okay now it's out in the open I and mean, you almost missed when it wasn't you almost missed, <laughs> missed the charade in a lot of ways because now it's 
unhinged. Yeah, the, the, the attacks on science were definitely a backdoor to just get uh, people to uh, not believe their eyes yeah. and ears and yeah. you know what they're seeing right in front of them so yeah. that they can be controlled and manipulated. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird because like there's still people out there who don't believe gravity is real. Like people like a growing number of people. Yeah, well, there's flat earthers, which is one thing. That's a whole that that's a ridiculous thing. But the fact that there's people like there's a professor I had who I think or he had a student who came up with like a new theory of gravity that still like didn't deny that gravity was real, just sort of maintained that it sort of functions differently. I didn't really do much history like physics, so I don't know the exact term of well, it but we, he we got like we don't really know yeah we know that yeah we don't have works. an explanation for why gravity exists we just know right. it does but he got letters like hundreds of letters from people who denied that gravity was real and um i don't know how that works like he just people who deny it's related to the flat earth thing I yeah think it, it is but i don't but like flat earth like i don't say it makes sense but it's like oh it, you see a map and like you don't see everything, right. so you can say, "Oh, it's flat," and there's some. But like and if you your are, brain you are on the grounds. You can't deny that you are <laughs> on the grounds uh, when you yeah. are. So but I've heard them say that. So if we're on a flat Earth disc, and the disc is moving, because gravity and ex and um, acceleration in space are imperceptible. They're the same yeah. thing. Like they they feel like the same thing. Um, if you're being accelerated by an outside force yeah or if you're being pulled by gravity it feels the same so the idea is that if earth was a flat disc and it's moving at 9.81 meters per second squared or whatever yeah. gravity is uh then we would feel it by yeah being but that's down. also why like people didn't believe until galileo that the earth revol they really thought the sun revolved around the earth because it's like if the earth is moving why are not we not feeling like an earthquake all the time why are we yeah. like not running on a treadmill that was sort well, of it's understandable because it logic. looks like the sun is moving around. yeah but and it, it is uh and you can calculate how the sun moves around us and mathematically put us at the center right of the universe but it it's so complicated. Yeah, it, 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 it's like if you do the graph that way Galileo did it, you can sort of see. Ooh, this doesn't track. Suddenly, you see if you put the sun in the center. Yeah. Uh, th suddenly, the mathematics of the solar system becomes very it's just simple yeah. ellipses. Yeah. And even the wider galaxy around us yeah. just becomes a series it, of ellipses that are dictated yeah. by uh, distances and gravity. And, yeah. And suddenly it just all falls into There's place. no real way to explain it otherwise from a geometric point of view, if nothing else, how that works. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, that was a, yeah. Uh, I was trying to, I, I forget, a couple of months ago I, I explained to someone who the difference between the Julian and Gregorian calendar, which is a whole other animal like there. Because basically... That when they added two more... Based uh, months... Because um, two, two more Caesars. Yeah, well, it's it's basically what it Julius is. Julius and Augustus. Yeah, uh, they the Earth the year, which is like how long it takes for the Earth to completely revolve a sun, is not exactly three hundred and sixty-five days. It's like three hundred sixty-five point three or four. That's why we have leap years, but even leap years are not accurate completely. So over time, it got like over like a th time like by I mean like a thousand, two thousand years, it got completely off um so 
they adjusted it so that's why Oktoberfest is in September now because it's based on the old calendar which is now like a month later. Is that why? I didn't yeah, realize that's that. why. Yeah, and it's weird because like different countries change the calendar at different times. Yeah. Like because like in America, like it was already in colonial America. We'd switch the calendars, and England was switched like around that time too. But like Russia didn't switch till the Russian Revolution. Like the October Revolution was technically in what's now November. Like in the Russian Revolution, they just didn't change. They were the last like major country to change the calendar that way, uh, which is always to me like, yeah. So how, they, when they went from ten months, no, there was always twelve months. They just basically pushed it back a month. Oh. Like, yeah, it was always a twelve month. Oh, they just did a re. They just like a month just disappeared. Yeah, a month point. basically disappeared from the record. So everybody could they just skip ahead. Yeah, they had a, they had a, a leap month. Because if they hadn't done that, like we'd be having snow in July, like eventually, because the, everything would just be off. Um, not in mm -hmm. L.A., but in places where there's <laughs> snow. Uh, it would be in the northern hemisphere. Things would be crazy. No, we'd off. be fine here. Yeah, we'd be the, still the fine. The same every day. Is yeah. The same. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of what it is. It's, 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 I know calendars like in the Hebrew calendar, which is a lunar calendar, so it's based on you know the 28-day lunar cycle. Um, that they do a leap month every three years. So it's uh, they'll add, so because that's way less accurate for timing purposes than uh, the solar year, um, they'll add a full month. I think it's every three years. Uh, one of the mountains of the Hebrew calendars is called Adar, and there's Adar Sheni, which is like second Adar. That's what it means. But which calendar? That's the Hebrew calendar, like for Jewish holidays and things like that. There's uh, an extra month? Every, every three, years three years, because the lunar calendar is a stupid way to measure time. Um, but like in the Islam calendar, they don't have they don't have the leap month. That's why like Ramadan is whenever the calendar happens to fall. So, yeah, that's weird. It, I guess you would, you would think that the moon going around the Earth would somehow match up with the Earth going around the sun. No, it doesn't. It doesn't really. They're not. There's no reason it should. Yeah. It just feels like in in your head that it should. Yeah. Um, just because a month, you have such a sense of what a month is that you don't necessarily think. Yeah. Oh, because uh, so a month comes from the moon. Yeah. We we start we started with a moon cycle. Yeah. And then we kept adding shit to it to yeah. make it, it work it, out. It's not an efficient system at all. Like the reason uh, the ideal body temperature in Fahrenheit is ninety eight point six is because it was supposed to be a hundred when that scale was the, the Fahrenheit scale was determined, but <laughs> we didn't know how to measure temperature well, so ninety eight point six. Is just what it and it was off by like two degrees. Oh, um, weird. So that's yeah. So it was that I was supposed you, to be. I thought you were going to say that that uh, God had originally intended us to have hundred degree blood. Oh, but we but he he got yeah. it off by two. Yeah, he was that, off by two degrees. Hey, God is infallible, so there's no way he'd be off by one point four. Not degrees. my God. No, like, I worship a very flawed God. Yeah, I worship Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. So that's my <laughs> that's my God, I guess. Uh, it's just he's good at football, so that's cool. That's all you need. Um, oh, so so they were like like the centigrade scale is based on water. Right? Yeah, so it's when water zero is when water freezes, and a hundred is when water boils. That's, but the Fahrenheit was supposed to be. I don't know what zero was supposed to be, to, but to uh, to our bodies. Yeah, it was to it was supposed to be to body temperature as a hundred degrees, but it got messed up. Yeah. So yeah. So now there's like no real milestones in the Fahrenheit yeah. scale. There's nothing 
it's it's an arbitrary scale that's very dumb. Twelve freezes at yeah. Third, what is it? Thirty. Thirty-three ish. Thirty-three. I know that when you get when you're when you're in Celsius, you say double it, add thirty, and that's how you roughly get it to Fahrenheit. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. That's basically, yeah. I think like thirty-three is where things freeze, or thirty-three, thirty-four in the Fahrenheit scale. Yep. We should not be doing not metric system. I know. We well, you are, know there was we're an Americans. Attempt. There yeah. was an attempt in the seventies. That was like why people hated Jimmy Carter <laughs> was because he was trying to right make us that, and everyone hated it. And the, Jimmy so, Carter was actually very forward thinking. Yeah. He also put solar panels on the White House. Yeah. To proclaim to the world that we were going to get off foreign oil and and yeah. fossil fuels in general, and uh, Reagan. Uh, literally took the solar panels down yeah uh in an act of uh fuck you <laughs> it's just like an act of an, an act of solidarity to the oil companies. yeah 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 that is a thing that happened yep uh yeah um oh. and also the metric scale we could be you know yeah we could be moving around driving but even around like kilometers di- different countries like even in the countries that have the metric system don't have it all the way like in England, the the highways are still measured in like miles, even though they're mostly on the metric system. Um, so like they'll still say like miles too in especially kilometers in like English road signs and even really? like yeah. Even they have both. Yeah, they'll they'll have. I don't know if they have both, but I know that like they still have miles on their road signs. And even in Canada, which is they'll have the road signs in kilometers, but they will um, have like ounces on like milk and things like that still so like the food measurements will still sometimes be in that uh that scale as opposed yeah. to uh i've seen pictures outside, like yeah. there was like we there was a time when america was printing road signs in yeah. both miles and kilometers to get people used to it so like sort yeah. of uh, wean them off this old uh yeah the, the what standard measurements because yeah like, king like something king, king's king. a foot a foot is yeah. like a literal king's foot yeah yeah that's a th- or, or i don't know which king but uh i don't know yeah i don't know if it, it sounds like it would be it an english thing well endowed, i think though. i heard solomon as possibly was king solomon was the reason a foot is 12 inches i could be making that up completely that was hebrew i was in hebrew school for eight years and they like to make things jewish that weren't that was like a big thing <laughs> Of Hebrew school, every things that don't relate to Jews really somehow were tied back to it. So never forget, we're yeah. responsible for the foot. Yeah, basically that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, that it was a weird thing where like, hey, it was weird because like I was also it was a not in the nineties. I grew up in like the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which is a very Jewish and very overall very wealthy neighborhood. And there was this idea. It was basically functionally all the kids I grew up with were like trust fund prep school rich kid monsters who could like we knew they could get away with anything and like live like that mm-hmm. but um but because it was overwhelmingly jewish there was still a sense that like we are oppressed and we need to be united as a people and we can't take responsibility because that will look bad for the jews and mm-hmm. i'm like you are a rich kid douchebag you can call that out like there's nothing wrong with that but we couldn't cuz so there's this internal uh debate between being a rich douche and being a respectful yeah. like like I never people. I never I don't think I've ever once in my life felt like my safety is threatened because I'm Jewish. And I don't I think the majority of American Jews 
I mean, depending on where you are in the country, but especially in here, New York. But yeah. there are definitely places. And even in New York, yeah. Be. I mean, like, if you're a Jew in Arkansas, I used to have a joke in my stand-up that, like, if you're a Jew in Arkansas and you're afraid, get the fuck out of... Why are you in, Why Arkansas? Are you in Arkansas? You can leave any time. If you have money, go. Yeah. And it's like, that was sort of... It's kind of true. Yeah. Although it sucks that there's places like Arkansas where not yeah. everybody can... You would, but even then, there's, saved. like, pockets that are fine. Um, like, I mean, I even was would, would get... I, I was literally told you don't look like you're from around here when I uh, yeah at a bar in St. Louis, Missouri yeah, uh, and um, a couple times uh, that a similar thing happened to me like in Ohio when I was on a road trip yeah anyway yeah but I've never felt like for me personally like my safety is threatened but again I've been in like New York Chicago los angeles places like that most of my life so i've in pretty mm-hmm. i've been in pretty protective places which i don't deny um but yeah so that's the thing but also i used to so for me with my stand-up i used to be pretty aggressively in like the bashing my own people mode um just because like no one's done that before no one's been a jew shitting on jews in stand-up really but then after 2016 i'm like i should probably bring that in a little bit because mm-hmm. now it's it's not real necessarily yet, but it's getting real. And then there were a couple incidents where it was real. So yeah, yeah. So that was I pulled it back, but I'm still like I'll do I'll do Israel bashing jokes in my stand up still when I will do that, which is risky. But it's I can. Who are you gonna? Oh, I, yeah, I'm a Jew. I can. You don't have to fuck. I, you can't fuck with me on that necessarily. Um, if you if nothing else, if you can let people know that Israel is not the Jewish people. They yeah, are, it's, it's a government that. Yeah, and even like Israelis are in general are fine. It's just the government, which is. Oh yeah, the government is uh, is is extreme right wing. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, but even like most people. Israelis oppose that. They just can't get their shit together to create a unified opposition. So that's mainly what it is. And then they'll use fear mongering of terrorism to yeah uh, keep the right wing forces in charge. Right. Yeah. And and the right wing. Here and probably there too, if if you say anything against their horrible, yeah, uh, psychotic government, they will immediately like Ilhan Omar that, said that, that APAC is bad, and there right. was a congressional resolution to bash and like to denounce anti-Semitism, which is all that saying is that soft money that is lobbied to Congress that goes to fund a very oppressive regime is bad, and that requires a resolution against anti-Semitism. I'm like. Please, yeah. please, for the love of God, yeah, just cut that out, please. But they give so much, but they're the biggest lobbying group, APAC. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, it's like AARP and APAC are the two biggest lobbying groups. So there's not much. Everyone is beholden to them. Like pretty much everyone in Congress is exceedingly right wing on Israel because that's where a significant part of their because funding. They, they're afraid to be seen as anti-Semitic. Yeah, it, it would not be anti-Semitic at all to be liberal on Israel. Yeah, which would well, there's be. no like. In America, like, there's sort of the extreme left, like, Israel is a fascist state that should never have existed and needs to be eradicated. Uh, but there's also, the, but there's also that is, Israel is great and we need to defend Israel uh, for American interests or, if you're Jewish, like, to protect our people. But, like, there's no, like, I have people who are, like, for the state of Israel but for peace and, you know, uh, getting rid of the right-wing forces in American politics, even though that's pretty most of actual Israelis are, like, we what we like having in Israel, but we don't want this government to work this way. So it's mm-hmm. it's just weird that there's no 
force American politics that actually resembles what Israeli politics is actually like. So well, I think that's generally the, the the sort of you know Bernie Democratic Socialist position. Right? Yeah, I mean uh, it, they're not th- like, ant- but th- even within like, that, there's like so much, you know, like fuck Israel sentiment that like it almost it like I also like think a lot of people who are Jewish and are like very liberal will get very sensitive to like in the democratic socialist people people being anti-semitic and i think there's a lot of overreaction to that but i also am have a lower standard of what constitutes actual anti-semitism than others like people ask me like what it would take for me to be offended as a jew and i'm like you would need to have the names and addresses of my family and you're going to get them because they're jewish then i'd be offended but (laughs) beyond above below that not much yeah, I, like I can handle most of that. Se- yeah, or separate. Yeah, politics out of, uh, I I guess social. Yeah, there's movements or yeah. or uh, social animus. Yeah, like, I, it's very yeah, it's yeah. what it is, um, and yeah, so that's uh, related to science. <laughs> that's a very scientific yeah. uh, concept. Science. Yeah, but I'll I'll I guess I'll talk about like what I did by senior thesis in because that's that was a cool i was actually happy with how that came out What's that? um so i did a lot of work in like neuroscience history of neuroscience and science of the mind and part of that was experimental psychology and i took a class where i did uh studies on this like experimental psychologist in the 80s his name was benjamin Lebet, and what his studies do he'd have people like move their hands uh, and then measure their brain waves of when their brains basically said to move their hands mm-hmm. and movement hand often came before like the brain waves said it so he sort of used this study to say that the concept of free will doesn't exist that there's no such thing as free will um, that the that, hand is controlling us yeah or like we what someone says move your hand and we'll move it before we think we should move it that was th- that theory sort of was denying said that there's no such thing as free will and a lot of like experimental psychologists, like it's a big part of that, believes that the concept of free will doesn't is it doesn't exist. And I remember reading those studies, and I'm like, I don't know, like what I if I feel all right about this. So my senior thesis was basically examining that and other examples, like you know, alien hand syndrome or like phantom limbs and things like that, which are all sort of examples of mm-hmm. uh, the body telling the brain what to do. That's those are the things that are cited a lot as justifications for free will not existing but what i did which is very nerdy is i went to which is i guess it's a senior thesis in a nerdy school <laughs> like i'm allowed to be nerdy because mm-hmm. i looked up like a lot of william james's writing william james is generally considered the father of experimental psychology and he had like volumes and volumes of essays on what psychology could be and in one of them he talked about free will and he sort of had five definitions of what free will consists of mm-hmm. and those studies like that started in like the 80s denying free will met like one very narrow definition of what free will is and they're in the concept that experimental psychologists found on there's a little much more like forget exactly what they were because i haven't read my senior thesis in like since i graduated basically but there were Several examples of that um, of defining defining free will. It's like will. a multifaceted concept, but mm-hmm. and the basic argument I had of why this is what because experimental psychology is very like sensitive to the fact that a lot of people don't consider them a real science. Mm-hmm. Like people still think it's like a joke, new social science, and like mathematicians and physicists and chemists don't consider that science. So 
There's a lot of defensiveness about that in experimental psychology where they want to prove their valid science. So if you create the idea that there's no such thing as free will, it creates like basically makes psychology more of like a closed system like physics or chemistry is where there's like it exists with the universally defined rules, um, which is something they've tried to do for. And it's like it's a, it, experimental psychology is 100 years old. Physics is 3000 years old. So. It's interesting that with free will, then uh, experimental psychology will be something that uh that that appears to study itself uh but because it has no choice and yeah it's it, it's it, I, I like i don't know how society can function without like, it's like a property of the universe yeah that and and i'm not i i, I will we'll talk to you about free will but i'm not sure that it exists yeah uh in, in more i come from more of a physics standpoint yeah. Where that, um, have you ever read the book uh, Girdle Escher Bach by? Yeah, I read that. Doug I read Hodge that. Stiller. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, is Daniel Dennett part of that too? Uh, uh, he's uh, the selfish gene, I've, and so he was the idea that like genetic. No, that, no, that was no, that's, ha- that was. Uh, no, that da- Dawkins. Dawkins. Dawkins was the selfish gene. Um, I've read Dennett too. Uh, consciousness. Yeah, I read. Yeah, explained. I read Dennett a lot. But yeah. Um, and well, uh, Hofstadler talks a lot about how, uh, like, even processes that are pretty much, um, uh, what do you call it, like, uh, predictable, um, like every time an atom bounces off another atom, right. you, you can predict where it's going to go by physics and geometry. Yeah. Um, and that, like, all of the interactions of particles of the universe kind of seem to be... Um, almost on this, you know, sort of preordained yeah. path from where they started. Um, there's no real randomness. Possibly uh, quantum mechanics introduced yeah. randomness, but That's, that doesn't yeah. actually either so much as uh, it, it introduces a randomness in our uh, awareness and, and study of it, but yeah. not so much in the yeah. impact um, going forward. But Hofstadler talks about how... Um, how uh, like he talks about it with his, the, <laughs> it's hard to explain with the, right the, with the the ants he talks yeah. about an analogy to ants where that a a free will thought system can appear to form out of the complexity of the system right even if it yeah it's also so it's about the definition of yeah. free will because it, it feels like yeah. free will even though it it we might just be uh, literally going through the motions that were set forward. Right, but if you sort of expand the definition, and I wish I remembered what the other definitions were, but there's, uh, if you, like, there is one side of free will in William James's definition that does seem to make sense scientifically, but it's a more expansive concept than just, like, our, we do something and then our brain comes later. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and also, ants are very different because their functionality is sort of hive mind which is a whole like the yeah. way they function is very different from how any mammal would function for instance um, i guess he, he's, he, yeah so but he was talking about how it, like uh, emergent properties can come yeah. out of uh structured yeah systems uh due to the complex you yeah. know a layer of complexity yeah i remember i took a class <clears throat> in uh in I think it was my junior year of college, it was called like, pro like limits of ver, 
validity in experimental psychology. That's actually where I first read. And like, basically, it was all about like the lim the flaws and like how troublesome sometimes, you know, the metrics we use in experimental psychology can be. And I was the one history science major. Everyone else there was a psychology major. And sort of, I remember at the end of the class, they, we sort of went around the room and everyone was like, what are your takeaway from everything you've learned this semester? And all the experimental psychology majors were like, oh, I, I, all these assumptions I had about how things work, I'm, they're breaking down. I don't know if I believe in what these are. And they got around to me and I was like, listen, I'm a history of science major. I'm supposed to see the flaws in science and how things don't work. And given a lot of the evidence I've seen here, actually, these are kind of strong. Like, oh, this is how neurons, you know, how certain synaptic reactions lead to thoughts on certain things. Mm -hmm. That's pretty advanced for a science that's 100 years old. And I'm like, this is, it's encouraging that there's, you know, it's, it's still a young science relatively, but it's making advanced headway. And everyone was like, and I remember first being like, I, I feel better now. <laughs> it was like, I feel less sad about the state of experimental psychology. But, um... Yeah, that was fun. Um, and, and our hands don't move before we tell them to. Yeah, right? that's, but there's like our if you if you do like an EKG an EEG test or something like that, it sometimes you'll see. But it was also like even like besides a, reflexes, I yeah. Know, but even like, like reflexes yeah. will happen before the signal reaches the brain. And yeah, comes back. but also like even like the the technology available in the 80s was different than now. Like MRIs were not nearly as developed as they are now. Even like 87, like that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So we have so much more advanced ways to map brain activity now, even like in the last 15 years, um, that it sort of has opened up new avenues for experimentation that weren't there before. Oh, yeah. But the process of like, ways. it's so weird, like how like brain scans work is like an fMRI, basically, you have to think about a thing while your brain is getting scanned. And most mm -hmm. people, when their brain is getting scanned, because an fMRI, MRI is so invasive that you have to curve the instant be like, holy shit, my brain's getting scanned and I'm in this closed space. You're like, no, I have to think about the thing I was told to think about because I'm a sophomore in college and I want these 50 bucks. Well, or, I've had, or you mean just like, like so... being surrounded by a thing and not being able to move yeah. anyway. It's distracting. Yeah. And it, it's kind of scary. I've got an MRI yeah. uh, just for fun uh, <laughs> because my friend was an MRI PhD yeah. scientist. And uh, yeah, it's like loud, and you're yeah. in a small space. I've never. I don't think I've had like a. I've had a couple CT scans. The only MRI I feel like I've had is I fucked up my wrist a couple of years ago, and I had like, so it was a mix of an MRI and also like, I, my hand was in like a fixed thing, and they had to like inject dyes into my hands. So uh -huh. it was oh, weird. Cool. So like it, it was the kind of thing where I eventually needed like a couple of cortisone shots for that. Then once I got those, it was better. But that was just like a random. I had a searing pain in my wrist, so that's. They injected dye, like a radioactive? Yes, because that's what they needed. Not a radioactive dye, I hope, but some kind of dye that, like, on They do the that sometimes. I mean, to get all I know is that that was what they needed to see what was up with my wrist in particular. So, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, yeah, so that was a thing that happened. It, um, the I, way you could tell if it was a radioactive dye is if you've uh, come up with any superpowers Oh yeah. then. Uh, I have not, so I just was blue for a hot minute <laughs> inside my hand, and then it wasn't if, once if they, ever I was they over. They fixed your wrist so well that you had super masturbatory abilities? No, it was something? my right hand, and that's not what I use. That's TMI, but that's <laughs> fine. Um, but, um, but I remember, like, the course of the shot was so weird, because I remember it being like, all right, it's not broken, but we don't exactly know what's going on, but let's give you a core zone shot and figure it out, and, mm -hmm. like, 
soon as they injected it, like air came out of my wrist. It was it was like you can hear like you can almost hear it. It was like a bike tire being like Oh wow. So but the, it was like a pop and then like a little air being injected and then like fluid meshing around in my wrist and then like a couple hours later I was fine. Like <laughs> I didn't have wrist pain as a result oh. of that. But it was so, so weird. So it was like a cyst or something in there? I don't know what it was. Uh, I still don't know. They they just they thought like I had a bone broken in there because like they did an X-ray and technically like my arm bone goes further up into my wrist than it naturally is supposed to. So there was, oh. which is just a genetic thing because most times the, the, what they thought I had the break is like a heavy duty sports injury, but I wasn't doing heavy duty sports. So the other alternative is a genetic thing. It so wasn't like jamming your hand it was like my the bone was coming into my hand where it was jamming so it didn't cause a break but it probably caused the inflammation that led to that pain but that was like two years ago i had a cortisol shot i've not felt anything really bad since then so but i it's i will be aware of that for future things because i i will say i am genetically garbage in general (laughs) like i am fully that's anti-semitic no i I won't hear no i mean there's a lot of genetically garbage people of all races but uh (laughs) But, like, right. if I was born in any other century before the 20th century, I would have been dead by two. I know that completely because I have so many allergies and huge respiratory systems. I have terrible skin, all like, genetically. <laughs> um, and everything, um, like, there's no reason I should be alive right now except for modern medicine. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I actually had a true. thing when I was a baby. It's like, six weeks old, and I had a condition called pyloric stenosis. And what that was, I had a weak... Uh, sphincter basically so uh-huh. i would eat food and it would not really go into my intestines well because my uh pyloric muscle which is the muscle from uh, oh the, the pyloric sphincter the yeah. internal one from the from, from the, the stomach the to the intestines stomach. basically that was very weak and couldn't really process food and i if they had not caught that i would have been dead but um you were ignatius riley yeah something like that Do so you know, i had do you I know had that, that reference? No, I don't. It's uh, Have you ever read The Confederacy of Dunces? I have not read The Confederacy of Dunces. It's a really funny, a really great novel uh, that made characters Ignatius Riley, and he, he always complains about his pyloric sphincter. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I, that was just, uh, yeah. But basically, it was most, I have a scar on my stomach that's still from, like, the surgery I had when I was, like, six or eight weeks old, uh, which at the time was my whole belly. Now it's just, like, a little scar on the right side of my stomach. What did they go in and... and I don't know, that? but I'm, I know I can process food and poop healthily now. Uh, sphincter which, replacement? I don't know. It's not a replace. I don't know if it's like an ACL surgery where they'll take a part of your... Like, you know, they'll take a or part of like your elbow and like... Yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know lasers. what the process is. I just know that it, it works. And apparently it's most common among like firstborn sons at like six to eight weeks, which I exactly fit at the time. We haven't even gotten into any science, uh, the current science stories. We've uh, talked a lot about a lot of science. Yeah. Let's just do one current okay. science story. And it, this is partially related to biology and also horror. Yeah. Uh, Japan has approved scientists to create humanimals and oh, bring I them saw to term, something like this. Which oh, means God. actually uh, cutting human genes into yeah. animal embryos and bringing and hatching them into yeah this is something like i don't know if this is like a judgmental thing for me but like the idea of human animal crossover hybrids has always been very disturbing to me because like have you seen dr moreau i have and it's also like even like it's kind of a creepy movie i just even don't know it's pretty i don't like the idea like bad and i don't like the idea of species mixing not in my america <laughs> but it's just like 
like, like the idea that like I mean I get that like genetically is very fluid between what the, it's sort of arbitrary what defines a species, but like the idea of like artificially combining things, even like I don't again I don't want to be judgmental, but the concept of like a, a furry sexually always sort of is like. A little you mean like the cat's trailer? People, people, yeah. Which is oh, the cat. God, don't get me started on that. Uh, but like, <laughs> the idea of like, yeah, hot, hot fuckable cats. Yeah, I just don't dancing. like. I don't like the idea of like, like I. I think I maybe it's not even that I don't like it. I just am sort of like disturbed by the idea of like how fragile the concept of what a human is. That like, like Grizzly Man, the Werner Herzog movie, really fucked me up. Like more than like a lot of horror movies. Just really, it sort of. Again, it was something that sort of broke down what makes a human and how it relates to animals. And then he died, so I was I was almost relieved when he died. Cause like, oh, this doesn't work. <laughs> like, because oh, yeah. combining human with animal culture doesn't necessarily work all the time. So when he was killed by a bear, I was kind of like, okay, there's still limits. <laughs> like, in a yeah. weird way, which is not you're supposed to feel sad for him, and I, I did feel sad that the guy died, but I was also like, on one level, relieved that this attempt to sort of blur the line between human and animal failed. Like <laughs> in a way. Okay, um, I see what you're saying. Um, and now there's genetic ability to do that, which I sort of... I mean, we were able the, to clone sheep like 20 years ago, so the fact that... The, the thing that I, that gets me is if if we start animals that start having brain properties, yeah. like uh, biological uh, brain yeah. DNA of humans, and and come up with like thinking sentient... Yeah, Animals I mean, I've seen still oh, the new Planet of the Apes movies. It can go wrong very fast. Yeah, and or that's not what this is yeah. right now. Yeah. Although it, it could it, go it there. It could go there. I think so. Also, what, what they're doing is now, and it, it's it's for good reasons, yeah. uh, which is to grow. They're trying to be able to grow uh, human transplantable. Uh, organs like a pancreas, yeah, in a in a say a pot. It just that to me sounds like a playing God kind of situation that I. Which I'm not. I'm not necessarily against playing God because yeah. you know. I mean, we we play God enough as a species. Curing like, disease is playing yeah. God. Which, I know, but, but it's the, still good. Yeah, um, but. But yeah, I no, I no, I know what you're saying. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I agree you're that having God and I'm playing, d- yeah, the devil. devil. I but like I also agree that having more organs to transplant is a good thing. I just worry about the implications of doing it this way. Yeah, yeah, it does definitely have implications for. It also means like what are we creating? Are we creating sentient beings that we just use to harvest organs? Also, like, there's that's that's yeah. a, that's a pretty disturbing concept the in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, better than one of the better Michael Bay movies. Yeah. Um, or even, did you see uh, Sorry to Bother You, that movie that came out last yes. year with the horse people? Yeah. That well, was, spoiler, yeah. the whole, there's a secret, like, basically Uber executive, played by Army Hammer, has a secret plan to have horse people replace blue-collar workers. And yeah. It was like a weird, it was one of the things that sounds so fucking absurd, but in the reality of that movie... It made sense. It, it's a great analogy for you know the, yeah. the, the work. Oh, that movie! It's interesting. That movie society. is like openly communist. Like it's just as like yeah, it's yeah. just be communist about. It. Like there's no, impl- there's no subtlety to that message. What maybe? No, I th- it was beyond socialist. That movie was just openly communist. Like, maybe in a way. Uh, it was great. Yeah, I did love that movie. See, sorry, sorry to bother you. I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, Bootsy um, Collins. So yeah. Anyway, uh, Japan is okay to human animal embryos. Uh, they've actually made some in the past, but they. It was it was illegal to bring them to term and let them uh, become birthed animals. Um, now they're going to go ahead and do that. Birth them. 
They're going to birth it. Sheep and pig embryos with human cells. Um, and the human cells uh, are meant to uh, this sounds grow organs for organ for people. Who yeah, I don't it. like the idea of sentient beings being used to harvest organs in any context. That's why. That's probably well, my biggest objection. I, I wouldn't say that pigs are right, but sentient. like if there's human elements, it it, it could lead. To, like it could we lead don't to know, that. so we don't know and necessarily. The the real interesting philo- philosophy also is. If we ever get to the point where we have a, a a thinking pig that can talk to us and have some, you know, IQ for lack of a better word, some intelligence yeah. that's measurable, then what is the what if the scientist kills that pig? Is that murder? Because you can kill pigs. Well, now, there's also like, but, and you, but you can't kill humans. But can can you kill proto-humans? Yeah. Well, there's also like I, there's some philosophers who are very aggressive vegan vegetarians because. You basically look at a cow's brain, and it as, is as developed as like a 22-day-old infant. Like, technically, like a a cow, a fully adult cow has, and like, young babies are not able to process things the way adults are, but like, they have the same capacities as uh, like a baby that's less than a month old. So mm-hmm. people who know that are act like ethical philosophers are strict vegans because they consider that like a crime basically to do that they consider it kind of murder of like a intelligent being relatively to eat a cow it's like we're not eating uh babies at up to a certain age so that's sort of one of the points of view on that yeah well maybe that means we should be eating babies up to a certain i age. mean that's the other the other way to go around it uh that's the that's the devil's advocate of that argument <laughs> so yeah. i remember in college what also we i wrote for the school newspaper and we got an offer to have a scholar uh, sponsor of Hufu, which was vegan alternative, like tofu meant to taste like human, like <laughs> can- like for cannibals, it was meant to be like a tofu alternative. Uh-huh. I, it was mostly a gag thing, but it was, they did like say, what do cannibals, what do humans taste like? And they based a tofu recipe off that in right. a very strange way. Which I thought was pretty cool, actually. I was a fan of that. Beyond Human Burger. Yeah, basically. It was, yeah. Uh, the impossible human the, burger. Impossible. Because it's, it's a felony to for it to be possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this will be interesting to watch yeah. how uh, Japan goes. And maybe they'll make their own uh, Cats movie with actual Yeah, well, it's also like a lot of studies in psychology. America is sort of lagging behind... Russia, in a lot of ways, and the reason for that is Russia doesn't have the same human rights laws that America does, so they're able to go to more invasive territory. Are we lagging and behind them? In we're psychology? not. We're we're. Did you say psychology? Psychology, because like basically, if you don't have the same ethical standards, you can get do more invasive procedures that get more like results yeah. that are more advanced, but you also raise kids in boxes. Yeah, and you can do stuff out. like that in Russia, not necessarily in America. Would so that. And Romania also is like somebody that did too. that in America, didn't they? Or was that you're in Europe? Well, uh, ra- raise a, a, a human child in a in a box I don't, outside. I of think that ma- I don't humanity. think that happened. Like there was like the Stanford Before prison experiment. There were like laws, right? There was the Stanford prison experiment, which was the basic the idea of let's lock humans in uh, who've done nothing wrong in a room for a month and see what like fascistic tendencies emerge. 
And a lot of them did, but it was turned out to be a lot of the stuff was faked. Did B.F. Skinner raise his daughter in a Skinner box? Yeah, he was He was the guy I was talking about, like, behavior psychology. He was the one who... He was in America, wasn't he? Yeah, he was American. Uh, he's the one who basically... It's a, it's a myth. I also was pretty sure it's a myth. And uh, Oh, it is This false. website okay. that you're saying is false. I, I just found it on Snopes. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I had heard that and thought it was a real thing. Yeah, that's not a thing that I think would happen for real. Uh, but I remember... Probably uh, Thomas Edison just made it up to <laughs> fuck with it. Yeah. I'm just saying that because Edison... Yeah, Thomas Edison had his own weirdness that I would like. Just, you know, he changed the world, but he was also a fucking weirdo with, like, some, how are you this big an asshole? Who was, how is yeah, that possible? Just like a total asshole to all other scientists. Yeah. I did hear that, like, when Steve Jobs died, a lot of people compared him to Edison, which I actually think is a pretty valid comparison in, like, the way... He uprooted society and how we communicate and how technology functions with some morally questionable side effects, but it's still the world is not the same as it was before Steve Jobs as after. Yeah, which I, so there's a lot of For comparisons sure. to him in Edison, which I think it was actually pretty valid. I don't know if what if he did anything as bad as some of the shit. No, Edison, Edison did some worse shit on Tesla and yeah. Uh, uh, I love if the movie The Prestige. Um, which is yeah. my favorite. Like uh, David Bowie plays Tesla, which I thought was. I great. love that. Yeah. Uh, that's my, that's a fucking. That's a fantastic movie. But I just love the that's my Bowie Nolan playing a movie, straight I Tesla. I mean, I think I'd still probably go with. That's it's up there for me. I think I may go with. Uh, uh, what's uh, Inception would actually be my favorite of his, um, which I still I still love that's that movie. Good. People, people are very mixed on it. They will either adore it or. Be like with this pretentious piece of shit movie, but I, I thought, liked it. I yeah. didn't hate it, but yeah, it that's was, another what is reality? Very kind pretentious. Of... Also, what I what I hated about Inception was it 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 plays on a false uh, trope of science, which is that you dream in like one tenth time or something yeah. like that, which is totally that's not true. But also, it... or or, spe- or, yeah. or you dream faster. Or something. Like yeah, that? I did like I did sort of like the way it played with the reality of dreams, but also just I guess like you, you dream faster, so such that it takes a longer time in your dream than it takes in real life, which yeah. is not true. Uh, been proven false yeah. before that movie came out. Yeah, but anyway, it's all right. But I just like the Still memory play. Movie. It was. Um, yeah, and the idea me, of like going further. Yeah, further I remember down. walking out of the theater and being like, "Well, Nolan just like tricked the Hollywood into like." He used all that Dark Knight cred to make this like weird art house, but still epic movie. It's like people are comparing it to The Matrix. I'm like, you ever see? There's a movie last year, Marion Ben, which is a French movie from the '60s, and that's probably the closest parallel of like uh, two people go to a hotel and they both sort of claim they know that they had been in this hotel and had like a romantic entanglement, but they have no memory of how that happened, and like it's non-linear and like revisiting bits and fractured memories of what happened. And it's a fascinating movie. And it is like Wait, what's that? That was made in the sixties. It was, a, I think, it was Marion Ben last year in Marion Ben. It's a French movie, um, and it's like you combine that with the Matrix, and you kind of get uh, Inception in a lot of ways. Oh, interesting. Um, All right, yeah, that's a that's a art house classic foreign film that is very good. The, the Prestige, but you might have convinced me that Inception is second. Yeah, I will. Uh, yeah, I can talk about that movie a while. And it's also like it, I did not expect that movie to be as successful as it was because it was a box office hit even though it was a very cerebral, like, mm-hmm. arty movie, which I was pleasantly surprised that that did as well financially as it did. Um, 
Yeah. And he gave us a great episode of Rick and Morty where yeah. he's like, if you think this is stupid, Morty, then everyone who... Yeah. Also, there was talking about Inception. Yeah. There was a South Park episode about it, too. I forget what that one. There was. Remember. Yeah, they did. They did. A, they made fun of Inception. They did something. Um, Futurama did, too. Yeah. Everybody's well, they, done an Inception Well, there was, like, also Futurama, like... The writers of that were all like science PhDs. Like, oh yeah, Bill Odenkirk, Bob's brother, got a PhD in inorganic chemistry from the University of Chicago. And like, in the Simpsons episode where Homer becomes an inventor and he's modeled himself after Edison, there's like a formula on a chalkboard that, like, decade after that, they was like, this is an this was a brilliant innovation in mathematics that was like a background gag, (laughs) but it was like a real like. Proof oh, yeah? that had not been proven by like actual, you know, academic mathematicians, but then they realized this was like a huge breakthrough in the field of mathematics. That was just a background gag in a Simpsons episode. Well, the Futurama episode uh, where everybody switches brains. Yeah, they there was a literal mathematical proof written out to prove that uh, no matter how convoluted, yeah, all the brains or mind swapping got, you could always. Uh, you could always put it back to normal with uh with two extra yeah brain bodies. No, it's uh, it was a very and, and that show there is a shot of the blackboard yeah. with the proof on it. And yeah. It was a, an actual like yeah. original mathematical proof yeah. just for that yeah comedic cartoon. Yeah. It's kind of unbelievable, especially Futurama, what they were able to do with science. And yeah. that show played around with science incredibly well. Like um just in general, there was a lot of like the way they use technology but also like yeah, mind switching and things like that, or like the brain spawn coming in and making everyone stupid, like that kind of thing. There was some really great work and just like how species evolve and things like that. And just like, I just, there's a moment where one of my favorite jokes they, in that show is Bender, the robot's having a nightmare and he's like, ones and zeros everywhere. And I, I think I saw it too. And it's uh-huh. just like, and it was just and a they dream. They show the dream too, and yeah. there's one. There's two one little two, up. but it's like there's no such thing as two. That's one of my favorite lines <laughs> in that show. It was just a dream. <laughs> there's no such thing as two, which is true. Uh, one of my math, one of my college professors, uh, somebody was trying to say like, "What well, imaginary numbers are stupid? There's no such thing as the square root of minus one." And then he goes, "You're right. There's no such thing as two either." Yeah. <laughs> well, there's like also I remember like, you know, once you get to like theoretical math in college, like you have to define what a number is. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, it's a number. But then you're like, no, but what is a number? And you're like, oh, shit. What? I don't know. <laughs> like what is actually, why is two, two plus two is four, depending on how you define two. Like right. that's, it got to the, like that was the level where I'm somebody, like, I have to go away from math now. Somebody but, at work uh, <laughs> remarked that math was, was all made up and, my retort but, was that no, actually, math is the only thing. It's the only that's universal. Made up. It's the universal language. It actually, is the, yeah. what the universe is actually math, and yeah. everything else is an illusion that the math creates in our. Yeah. Uh, no, I I do believe that firmly. That in, in our math is the, the only universal language. Neurons. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's unclear, but I also think that exists beyond humanity. Like, like what. If you, if there was any sort of sentient being, I mean, I don't want to presume that if they could see math and it would track for them too. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the idea of the you know the golden record we put out there, and also yeah. like the the yeah the etchings on uh, on our probes. 
right. our mathematical formulas because we assume that if anything smart found them, yeah. they would at least know what math was. Yeah. All right, let's yeah. wrap this up. All right. uh, this has been a really great conversation about all kinds of all kinds of science all and over not the things. Where uh, do you think? Uh, what's your What's your vision of the future? Do you think are you optimistic or pessimistic or? Uh, very pessimistic. I mean, in addition to global warming, uh, I think I'm very afraid of the cloud because it means content and like art and literature and history can be deleted based on what corporation happens to own that content and decides it should not be up. Mm. Like I remember when uh, Jeffrey Tambor was me too. Uh, Amazon was talking about just removing transparent completely from its service. From and, but it's like, then there's, you're just erasing a show from history. And it was also a show that was on, on the one hand, what Jeffrey Tambor did was unacceptable. But on the other hand, it is like a, it was a groundbreaking show in sort of a, a lot of ways, and to just erase that from history is very scary to me. But and also global warming, we're gonna we got 15 years left to survive. <laughs> but that's yeah. also that's another thing that terrifies me about the future that's of like media getting extremely serious. Yeah, and especially because nobody's still doing anything about it. Yeah, um, I had thought about the cloud as in terms of. Um, a way to erase data. It's a I, weird. It's a It's like basically you've now accepted that corporations control kind of speech. But it's a distributed right system, right? So it's hard to just expunge anything. I mean, people will still pirate it, but like the cloud, you, you can still pirate Netflix shows. I'm sure, but yeah, like I remember, like The Simpsons after the Michael Jackson documentary came out, removed the episode he did a voice on, which is a very famous episode of The Simpsons. And at that point, I'm like, I'm good. Really? They took it off? They took it off after the documentary. So for me, I am a giant Simpsons fan. So I just downloaded seasons one through 10, torrented it, because I'm like, I don't want this to be lost to history in any way whatsoever. So I I still, yeah. Yeah. Since we don't, we pretty much don't own our own uh, music or. Corporations control all media now, like art and literature and music and pretty much everything is what's available is beholden to the whims of whatever company controls the rights to it. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I I like the fact that pretty much all of my uh, hundreds and hundreds of CDs are pretty much all on Spotify now. Yeah, yeah. But that's just at the whim of that company yeah. making them available. And they're also me. paying the artists garbage, even though they'll get like a million listens, they'll get like point oh 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 two percent per listen to a song. So they don't actually yeah. make money really from Spotify, and no one's making money in music anyway now. So yeah, there's a new model emerging, of getting, um, you know, you get some sort of recognition and fan yeah. base. But you know, yeah, it's it's complicated. Yeah, um, interesting. Uh, the cloud. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. As, as as a dangerous force <laughs> for society. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. There's a storm coming. Yeah. In the form of clouds. Yes. It's a bad moon rise. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bad moon rising. Yeah. Uh, All right. All right. Thanks for being on Science AF. Thank you for having me. Where can people uh, find your work online or follow Uh, your... Yes. So for me personally, my Twitter, Instagram is at Ethan Stan Comedy. Um, That's my handle. And then you can also check out at Hale Night Church on Twitter and Instagram or like the page for that. Um, I'm also uh, 
I wrote and I'm producing a movie that's starting filming in September, uh, which I'm very excited feature? about. Feature, yeah. Really uh, awesome. So I got a little bit of money behind it, so we'll see what happens with that, where you can find it in the future, but... Uh, can you tell us the working title? Or you it's wait? The, yeah, I'll tell you. It's on IMDb, so it's nothing to hide. It's um, punk noir, so it's a noir set in the LA 80s punk, hardcore punk scene, Ooh. which is pretty fun. I co-wrote it with Dane Bowling, who's also on Night Church, and uh, we're going to hopefully start shooting it shortly, which wow. I'm allowed to say because it's, again, marked as such on IMDb. So as long as it's on public IMDb, I feel comfortable saying that. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty cool That's thing. Exciting. I'm very excited for it. Yeah. Um, great. Well, um, you can follow me at Dave Chacho and all the things. And Science AF is at Science AF Pod on Twitter and uh, not on Instagram. It's Science AF. Get on Instagram. On, <laughs> I should get an Instagram. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah. Um, and ScienceAFPod.com is the website. Yep. And you can follow us on Apple and give us a review and hearts and thumbs and uh, thoughts and prayers. Fives and <laughs> thoughts. It gives a thought and, and a prayer. And thanks for listening. We will be back. At least I will next <laughs> week. Thanks, Ethan. Thank you for having me once again. Here's the theme song again. Bye. Science AM. Science AM. Science AM. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science as fuck.